Thank you, Tim, for that prayer. And once again, I want to welcome each and every one of you to our service. It truly is a blessing to have you uh, join us uh, each Sunday morning. Well, the title of the sermon series that we have been in, in 2 Corinthians, is Be Encouraged. And each week you've had this particular assignment. The first part of that assignment is to read um, 2 Corinthians each week. And, um, and basically the way you can do that is two chapters a day, Monday through Saturday, and then one chapter on Sunday. Now, next Sunday is our last week. We'll be uh, working in 2 Corinthians, so continue to do that. And I trust that that's been a blessing to you. I just want to remind some of you, uh, some of you that are not Bible people, or you didn't grow up with the Bible, you didn't grow up around the church, I just want to encourage you to do something very simple. Get a Bible and read it. Uh, Start reading in the Gospel of John. uh, Start reading in the book of Ephesians. But start reading the Bible, and I'll tell you why. This book is an incredible resource. Um, The Bible says of itself that this is God-infused or God-breathed his word into this book. Now, we know that's true because what it says when it talks about history... It's always accurate, even though it's not a history book. When it talks about science, even though it's not a science book, it's always accurate. And the thing that it's most accurate about is God's eternal, everlasting love for you and for me. This is the most popular book that has ever been written. Five billion copies are in circulation today. Every year, it's the number one bestseller. And that's been the case, hear this, for over 150 years. So uh, read your Bible. It's a very wonderful resource, and I think you'll really be blessed by that. Again, if you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'll send you one. Uh, Now, the second part of your assignment was simply this, uh, to pay attention. To pay attention to how God is blessing and encouraging you, and to pay attention to how you can encourage others. So I wanted to share with you uh, a couple of encouragements this week. Uh, This one was a uh, text or an email I received last Monday, and it was from somebody in our congregation, and uh, I was, you can ask Sherry, I was feeling a little bit discouraged, a little bit down on Monday. That usually happens to me after a big Sunday, but um, I was feeling a little discouraged, and I got this email. Let me read it to you. Pastor Duane, I always love your sermons, but today I understood why like never before. You love Jesus and you love people and it comes across so beautifully in your teachings. Thank you for being with us through this crazy time. God blessed us by making sure we would be well led even now. I was moved to encourage and thank you this morning. Much love. Um, That was uh, very humbling to begin with and it was exactly what I needed in that moment when I was discouraged. Uh, So I just, uh, when I got here this morning, uh, we got a piece of mail. Figure that out. You remember, remember the stamps we used to put on? Yeah. Anyway, mail. And this is from another member of our congregation. And this encouragement is designed for the worship team, the tech team, for me, FT, the OT, uh, and all of the staff. So this is for all of you, okay? Here's what it says. You are greatly appreciated for how you continue to serve us during this diff- these difficult days. I bless the Lord for you and pray daily for you and for our church. Also that his word continues to go forth to grace members and beyond. You are all cherished. And thank you for the grace hug sign and encouragement. 
What a lovely way to reach out to us. God bless you all for going alone and beyond, going above and beyond to make us feel loved as we stay at home, as we stay at home. It was such a heartwarming gift to find our sign outside our lawn on Easter evening. In his love with much gratitude. Uh, Isn't that cool? Now, that grace hug, some of you might be wondering what that is. Well, we have made little signs that says grace hug and it has a Bible verse and we put it on stakes and then we've tried to plant that into all the members and friends of our church in their yards. If you haven't gotten one yet, hopefully you'll get one pretty soon, but that's what a grace hug is all about. And then one other way that our church is encouraged, um, Dave Phillips, Dave, you're out there, right? I know you're out there. Listen, brother, uh, Dave has taken the directory and he's tried to call everybody in the church with words of encouragement. What a great gift. Thank you, brother, for using your time to encourage and bless the family of God. So that's your assignment. Read 2 Corinthians and then continue to encourage and bless others as God has continued to bless you and encourage you. Let's pray. Uh, I would just invite you to extend your arms if you feel comfortable to just show a a sign of receptivity to the word. Father, uh, this is your word. And I pray that it will be your words. I pray, Father, that uh, this teaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 would inhabit our hearts and our lives and our minds and our souls. I pray, Lord, that this word would be around us and in us and before us and that we would live this out faithfully as your servants. Lord, we need your grace. We need your grace every day and in every moment. And I thank you, Father, for this word today. May you bless it to our hearts We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the uh, the key teaching moments that we've had in this series on 2 Corinthians, and you'll recognize this, is this phrase. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. Say that with me, everybody. When you you know know who you are, you will know what to do. I mean... When you understand that you are forgiven and you are redeemed and you are reconciled and you are loved and you are graced, when you recognize that that's who you are, it changes everything about how you live your life, how you live your life with your family members. And I know they're getting on your nerves. Uh, They're getting on my nerves too. And there's only two of us. Uh, I know that. So, but, but you'll know how to love them when you know who you are. When you know how to love your grace community. When you know how to love the, the larger Christ community around you. And when you know how to love the world. When you know who you are as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you will know how to love the world. So I just want to encourage you to continue living out your faith. Do you know who you are in Christ Jesus? Do you know how much he loves you? Last week we talked about how that he is jealous for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Do you know that you have been forgiven and redeemed? That you are his ambassador? An ambassador is the highest ranking dignitary sent from heaven by God to earth to bring the good news of God's reconciling love and power to each and every person on this planet. That's who you are. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, when you know who you are, you will know what to do. So this morning, I would like to share with you from chapter 12, probably the most uh, famous passage in 2 Corinthians is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
I'll be reading the first uh, 10 verses. And we'll do that in just a moment. And we'll talk about, Paul talks about how that the enemy, that's Satan, the enemy wants to turn your head away from God to other idols. The enemy wants you to get you to look, get you to look at your circumstances instead of your standing in Christ Jesus. The enemy wants you to focus on what you're experiencing instead of who you are. He wants you to focus on your pain rather than your purpose. He wants you to focus on the obstacles rather than the goal line. All of this we're going to look at today. So it reminds me of this wonderful story. So at the turn of the 20th century, it happened around 1910, um, there was a young man by the name of Clarence who took his girlfriend on a summer outing. They took a picnic lunch out to a picturesque island in the middle of a small lake. Now, she wore a long dress with a dozen petticoats, and he wore one of those old-timey kind of suits with a collar right up around his neck. So Clarence and his girlfriend got into the rowboat. They rowed across the lake to this island. They got out. They drugged the boat up onto the shore. And then Clarence laid out this remarkably beautiful picnic under a shade tree. He was so hypnotized by her beauty that he hardly noticed that the sun was really hot and he was starting to sweat. Softly, she whispered to him, Clarence, darling, you forgot the ice cream. Clarence pulled the boat back into the water, rowed to the shore, found a grocery store nearby, bought the ice cream and rowed back to the island. He brought the ice cream, gave it to her. She batted her long eyelashes over deep blue eyes and purred, Clarence, you forgot the chocolate syrup. (laughs) Love will make a person do really weird things. Clarence got back on the boat, returned to the shore, found the syrup. As he rowed back toward the island, suddenly he stopped right in the middle of the lake. He could actually see where his girlfriend was, but he stopped right there. He was deep in thought about something, and he had this idea that he just couldn't get out of his head. He spent the rest of the afternoon out in the middle of the lake. By the end of that afternoon, Clarence Evanrude had invented the outboard motor. (laughs) And by the way, Clarence later married the girl who waited on the island with melted ice cream. Clarence Evanrude illustrates a basic principle of Christian living. When life delivers a problem or a pain, we can get bitter or we can get better. If life gives you a thorn, you can quit or you can whine, or you can persevere. The minister Bruce Larson states this principle as follows. In every disaster, God has a gift for you. Claim it. Claim it. In the midst of this disaster that we're experiencing, the coronavirus, and the literally hundreds of thousands of people who are sick and dying, somehow, someway, we need to claim victory during this time as those who follow Jesus. In chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul illustrates this truth in his own life. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, This boasting will, be, will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. 
I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. Now, Paul's saying, I'm not going to brag about this, but hey, this happened. (laughs) This happened to me. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I think he just did it, but anyway. Um, I will boast only about my weakness. Verse 6. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. That's a good word for all of us, isn't it? Verse 7. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. In the NIV, my grace is sufficient. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's a mystery in that. There's a mystery in that we all say, okay, uh, what's going on? Why should we experience these things, these times of suffering? Now remember, Paul talked about in verses chapters 10 and 11 about warning against false apostles, another gospel, be wary of all that. And he says, so he's been defending in chapters 10 and 11 his apostleship with the Corinthian church. And now he says, listen, I need you to understand something. I have been through so much pain and suffering. Now, he could have outlined them deliberately. But uh, he said, I'm reluctant to talk about these visions and revelations. He said, I was caught up in the third heaven. Now, in the ancient culture, first century in the Mediterranean area, uh, the third heaven was, this is the atmosphere. And then they could see outer space where the sun and the stars are. And then beyond that was what was called the heavenlies by uh, Jewish uh, scholars. And that's what Paul was talking about. He was caught up into the heavenlies. 14 years ago, he said, I had, I had an out-of-body experience. So he said, now these things, I'm not going to boast, but these things happened to me. I want you to know that I've experienced these things. But to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, this is also one of the most famous verses in the New Testament, in the book of 2 Corinthians. It's also one of the most misunderstood passages. And so today I want to really examine this by asking three questions of the text and discover some truly amazing truths. The first question is this. What is the nature of the thorn? What is the nature of the thorn for Paul? And what is the nature of the thorn for you and for me? The second question we'll look at is what is the source of the thorn? Did they come from Satan, from God, or both? We'll look at that. And the third question we'll look at is the most important. What is the purpose of the thorn? 
Because hear this, God never wastes thorns or disasters or viruses. He never wastes them. In Romans 8.28 we read, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Somehow, some way, God takes things that look very, very bad and they turn it into something good for you and for me and that will bring glory to our Father. So let's look at those three questions this morning. The first question is this. What is the nature of the thorn? Now, there's been much speculation around this over the years. Uh, people have said, well, it, it must be Paul had bad eyesight. Uh, he had glaucoma or cataracts uh, or he had headaches, earaches, epilepsy. Some have even said, well, he just had a bitter wife. That's probably not true because he was a Pharisee. But in the text, a thorn is not just limited to a physical ailment. A thorn can include all those other things Paul experienced. He said, I've experienced insults. People have told me that I'm, I'm not a good pastor. People have told me that I should never preach again. They've told me all these kinds of things. He said, I've had hardships. And he said, I'm sure you have too. Circumstances forced on you, reversals of fortune that aren't your fault. You're part of a broken world, right? And then persecutions. Paul was persecuted because of his faith. You and I have probably never been persecuted because of our faith. But then he said there's troubles. And troubles meant literally calamities, distresses, troubles, viruses, pressure crushing down, tension and stress. Paul said, I have been through all of that. All of those are thorns. But Paul had identified a particular physical ailment. A thorn in the Greek, skolops, S-K-O-L-O-P-S, which means a large stake. Now we think of a thorn, maybe a little thorn. You know, we've got some cactus out in front of our house. When I'm out there many times, I'll hit the cactus and that hurts. You know, it's a thorn. But this is not a thorn like that. This is a thorn. The word scallops means like an impaling stick. You know, you know Vlad, the, uh, the Vlad the Impaler that came out of that came the Dracula story. Uh, an impaling stick, that's where they would take your head and put it on a stake, right? So that's the kind of thing. It wasn't just a pinprick. It wasn't just a thorn. It was something he felt an impaling in his body. Intense suffering is what he experienced. So beside that and all of the other sufferings and and injuries, Paul said, I have a thorn in the flesh. Wow, did he ever. I mean, so that's, that's the nature of the thorn. Now, Paul had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten with rods. He had been whipped. He had been stoned. And he had been imprisoned. If anybody knows the nature of a thorn in the flesh, it was Paul. He said, I've experienced all that and I've done it all for the glory of God. So that's the thorn in the flesh that he experienced. Now, yours may not be exactly that uh, horrendous, but we're still feeling the thorn of this virus. We're feeling the thorn of losing our jobs, some people. We're feeling that. I mean, I know people that don't have jobs and they're just trying to figure out how to have, have food on the table. So these are tremendous thorns that we're experiencing today. So maybe the nature of your thorn is different from Paul's, but it's real nonetheless. It's real. 
So the next question is this. What is the source of the thorn? These weaknesses, these pains, these physical infirmities, are these from God? Are they from Satan? Are they from both? Paul calls this thorn a messenger of Satan given to harass and discourage Paul. So let me kind of give you a big picture uh, from the New Testament about this whole problem of pain. And for those of you who are not Christ followers, maybe you're an agnostic or an atheist, or maybe you're just undecided, uh, I understand why you're distressed at this question, the problem of pain. I understand. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Why is there all this pain in the world when we're supposed to serve this loving and tender-hearted God? So that's an important question. And it's okay if you ask that question. Even as Christ followers, it's okay to ask that question. So why do we experience pain in our world today? Three reasons. The first is because we do something stupid. We sin. We break God's law, his promise. We break the law. We do. We get in a car when we've been drinking too much and we have an accident, okay? Part of the pain in this world is because we do stupid things. There's a second reason that there's pain in the world. Because somebody else does stupid things. That other guy gets in a car. He's been drinking. He hits your car, not your fault, and you're injured or even worse, killed. So there are times when we do things that are wrong and that's why we bring pain on ourselves. Other times people do things that bring pain on us and it's not our fault at all. And the third and most important reason is this. We simply live in a broken world. Ever since Adam and Eve were given the choice to have a free will, every human being born after that has a free will. We can choose to obey God and serve God and go God's path or we can choose to serve ourselves and go on our own path. And that leads to all kinds of sin and disease and destruction in this world. The Bible says that Satan is the God of this world because he's kind of running around and everybody's kind of doing his bidding. And yeah, I'm going to go my own direction. I'm going to do my own thing. So those are the three main reasons that there's pain in our world. We sin, somebody else sin. We simply live in a broken world. What Paul is addressing is the third of these uh, uh, options. Thorns, weaknesses can come from Satan. He afflicts us through his angels, his demons, his messengers. Remember, his aim is destruction and misery and doubt. That's the aim of Satan. Now, let me say this. I said this a few weeks ago. Don't Don't miss this. Satan is not looking for victory. He's looking for company. Victory has already happened. Satan is defeated. That happened when Jesus died on the cross. We talked about that two weeks ago. That is over. Satan is defeated. But in the meantime, he wants to take as many of us with him to uh, eternity without God as he possibly can. So Satan is defeated, but he's still around whispering in your ear, saying you don't really matter, saying God doesn't really exist, saying you can eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's okay. And that's what Satan is always doing, whispering. His aim is destruction and misery and doubt. But it's not that simple, is it? Satan is not the only one at work here. God is at work as well. This thorn is not just the work of Satan to destroy. Listen very carefully to this. It is the work of God to redeem. God does not create these thorns. But when you have a thorn, God says, I will work to redeem you from that. 
One of my favorite verses, and you won't have this on your screen because I just added this this morning. One of my favorite verses is Genesis 50, 20. Now, uh, in, this, uh, in this story, um, uh, Joseph is at the end of his... his he, he's kind of one of the great leaders over Egypt. His brothers tried to get him killed earlier. It's a long story. You can read uh, the book of Genesis. But uh, Joseph finally is confronted by his brothers or his brothers are confronted by Joseph. And uh, they tried to kill him. And now he's giving them grace and he's giving them a brand new start, a brand new life. And this is what it says in 5020. Remember that. Always remember. Okay. 5020 is what I need to remember when I want to understand about pain and suffering. Here's what Joseph said. You intended to harm me. That's where somebody else harms you, right? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position. Listen, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. I wonder if that should be a theme of ours during this time of crisis, COVID-19. I wonder if we are experiencing some of this thorn, some of these crises, and we're trying to figure out ways that we can bring help and healing and blessing and the love of Jesus to others. Remember, you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. The highest rank dignity sent from God from heaven to earth to bring the reconciling love of Jesus to other people. Maybe that's what we're all about. So this source of the thorn, this source is a combination of Satan whispering our weak wills and then God comes in and says, listen, I'm going to redeem that. I'm going to take that and I'm going to turn that into something good. You can picture God brooding over the earth. Because this is Satan's domain, brooding over the earth in a loving, redemptive presence of a living God trying to love and redeem each and every person on this planet. He allows the thorn to keep Paul from boasting and pride. It happened with Jacob when he wrestled with the angel, right? For the rest of Jacob's life, he limped, but that limp reminded him to be dependent upon God. As most of you know, uh, Back from 1994 to 1997, I was addicted to gambling. And um, I will never forget um, those years, how broken I felt. I never did not feel the love of God. I felt often that I didn't love God, but I never felt that he didn't love me. But I remember that thinking back on that, there were three people in action there. (laughs) Satan was tempting me. I was taking the bait. And by the way, If you've never been tempted by gambling or some other addiction, um, Satan has this way of using what I would call a designer bait. He'll find something that'll get your attention. I mean, a bass doesn't care about a worm, but you put something else on the line, the bass will go crazy after that. He will put a designer bait in front of you to tempt you, whatever that temptation might be. So the temptation will be there. That's part of living in this broken world. But my part was to say yes to the temptation. My part was, part was to bite on that bait that he put out there and actually get hooked. And God's part, and he never let me down, was to always call me back to be redeemed. Dwayne, come back. It's okay. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. Uh, Sherry and I were in Colorado at the Marble Retreat in September of 1997. 
The church had put me on a leave of absence because they knew something was wrong, but I, they didn't know what it was. I hadn't been caught yet. And uh, finally, we were talking to our counselor, uh, Dr. McBurney. And uh, I remember, I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, Dwayne, there's something else going on with you. And I remember at that moment, God screaming in my head, now, say it, confess it. Now, don't go any further with this. And so I blurted it out. Sherry burst into tears. The counselor prayed over me. That was the beginning of my redemption. And God was saying, listen, there's hope. You don't have to worry. You don't have to stay stuck in this. There's hope. Come on, you can do it. Take that stand. How many times have you experienced that where God has screamed at you? This is not the way you want to go. This is not the path you want to be on. This is the path that you want to be on. That is this whole process of God wanting to redeem you. Both Satan and God had a stake in Paul's and our sufferings, right? Satan wanted him to throw in the towel, quit, whine, complain. God wanted to redeem Paul from pride and make him absolutely dependent on God. Remember, Satan does does nothing to God's children that God does not design with infinite skill and love for your good. The third part of this is what is the purpose of the thorn? Now, there's a word uh, that we use around uh, Christianity and around God talk. Uh, It's called providence. You've probably heard of that. It's an old-time word, old English word. Uh, but it, it comes in two parts, pro and and then the last part, vidence, which is kind of a, there's a take on video there. And what it means is that um, um, to see before. Providence is to see before. We say that God is providential. God sees before us. And this is one of the most beautiful things about God in this context of a thorn in the flesh and his grace is sufficient for us is that he sees on the other side of our pain. He sees on the other side of our thorns. He sees on the other side of the coronavirus. He sees on the other side of that. And he says, I've got you. That's why you can trust in me. I know you have no control over this, but I've got you. You can trust in me. So what is the purpose of the thorn? Well, the first part is simply to experience God's grace. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. That word sufficient means literally a perfect fit, a perfect measure. God's grace is a perfect fit for you during this time of difficulty. Paul said, uh, uh, God said to Paul, this, my grace is a perfect fit for you in spite of all of your imprisonments and beatings and the thorn in the flesh and everything. My grace is a perfect fit for you in your sin and in your brokenness, in your thorn, my grace is a perfect fit for you. A lot of people, especially those that haven't been around the Bible, ask the question, well, what is this thing called grace? You know, the most famous and most sung song in the world is Amazing Grace. That's right, Tim, Amazing Grace. Um, it has been for years. And uh, what is so amazing about this grace? Let me, let me just give you a little quick tutorial about grace. We start with justice. Justice says you're going to get what you deserve. Now, all of us would say, I deserve it. 
I've sinned against God. I have done so many things wrong to people and to myself, and I, I am guilty. So uh, justice says, you're guilty. You're going to jail, right? Mercy comes along and says, okay, uh, I'm, you're not going to get what you deserve. You're not going to go to jail. And then grace comes along after that and says, I've got you beat on both counts. Grace says, you're not only not going to jail, I'm going to give you a house and a boat and a car and a check for a million dollars. Even though you deserve prison, you're going to get, that's what grace is. It's this God lavishing his love on us in an abundant, powerful way. His grace is a perfect fit for your thorn. God can lighten a burden one of two ways. He can diminish the actual weight of the burden or strengthen the one who bears it. One says, I can do this on my own. That was always me. I can do this on my own. I don't really need God to help me in this area. I'm just fine with that. Or we can trust that God will help us through it. Throughout scripture, God prefers the latter. God does not spare us from things. But through grace, he makes us, listen to this word, conquerors. Conquerors. In the last 20 years of my life, since uh, 2000, uh, uh, Sherry and I moved from St. Paul, Minnesota to Chandler. I was to become the pastor of the Chandler uh, Church, the Hope Covenant Church there. Church of about 30 people. It was kind of a broken church, and I was certainly a broken pastor, so we were meant for each other. It was perfect. But before that, before I could do that, I had to be reordained. I had lost my ordination because of my gambling addiction, and after I went through counseling, and I went through GA and all of that, Sherry and I went through marriage counseling. Uh, I'll never forget, honey, uh, you'll remember in Chicago, Illinois, February of 2000, um, in a group of about 30 people, the board of ministry, many of them my peers, Several of them I went to seminary with. And um, along with Sherry and my two closest friends, Mark Larson and Mick Murphy, um, got down on my knees and everybody laid their hands on me and reordained me. And the only thing I could think of was my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. God uses those things to humble us. Humility is more important to God than freedom from pain. As I was reordained, I recognized that um, God hadn't given up on me, even if I had given up on myself. And every time I think of that word humility, I think of what God has done for me. The last thing that this leads us to is that Jesus Christ be glorified. The purpose of this thorn that we have now, that you have, is that Jesus Christ be glorified. God designed you to be a showcase for his power. Let God be God here. Don't you try and be God yourself. If he wills to show Jesus in our weakness instead of our strength, God always knows best. You see, we're, we're really called to be what I would call a dot connector. My weakness, dot, 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 connected to God's strength. 
my failure dot, 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 connected to God's forgiveness. My thorn connected to God's grace. God loves to deliver his people when the stakes are highest and the odds are the worst. He loves Hail Marys, to use a football metaphor. God wouldn't let Gideon use 30,000 soldiers or 3,000 men, but a measly 300 making the odds of victory so unfathomably small, only God could bring deliverance. Goliath was an executioner armed with colossal sword and spear, close to nine feet tall and 400 pounds. David was a shepherd boy with a sling and a few stones. Only God could snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. God's power is made perfect in your weakness, in my weakness, in Paul's weakness, because God and only God can deliver. We don't have the power to rescue, to deliver, or to save. God does, and his grace is sufficient for you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, um, so easily we get caught in the trap of um, feeling sorry for ourselves. Oh, I, I, I didn't deserve that. Or somebody did something wrong to me. Or God, why are you not listening to my prayers? And we always have somewhere to look instead of saying simply and humbly, Lord, in my weakness, may your strength be seen and known. Lord, in my poverty, may your wealth of grace and love be seen. Lord, in my pain, in my suffering, in the thorn in my life, may your grace that fits me perfectly fill me and point to every other person I know that you are Lord, that you are King, that you are Messiah. Thank you, Father, that in our weakness, your strength is made known. And thank you, Lord, that in our pain, our thorns, that your grace is sufficient for me. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.